blessing to be together this Sunday. Um, hope that you are already encouraged, all right? The way I like to think of it is a, a church that is pursuing Jesus, and we're desiring to be a family of God, right, that we're bound together by the love of our Heavenly Father, regardless of what color we are, regardless of where we come from. Man, the moment we, our, our car, the moment our tires cross over the threshold onto this property, there ought to be something that happens, right? Because when, we're, when our tires are on the other side of that property line, who knows what happens out there? Uh, it, it's not guaranteed that we're going to experience the love of Christ, uh, the unity that comes from being together with those who love Jesus and want to encourage one another. But something even happens just before we even, before we even get started with that first worship song. It's just nice to see brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? That's called fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. Um, so we are going to study the Word of God this morning we are going to continue the series that my brother, Pastor Josh, kicked off last week uh, where he preached and gave us a word about obedience out of the book of Genesis. He was talking to us about Abram, the way in which God called Abram to leave his father's home in uh, Ur and to go and, and essentially respond to the call that God had a plan for Abram to be the father of many nations. And Abram had to weigh a lot of options as to whether or not he would want to leave think about the implications of leaving what he already had he already had a, a household in those days it wasn't like these days where you know a lot of people had a 401k or or a savings account or whatever it may be the way that things took place in those days is essentially you had an inheritance right but if you left like we learned about in the product story of the prodigal son in the gospel of luke if you left then you were you were essentially foregoing your portion of the inheritance. So by Abram leaving, he was leaving the blessing that his father had for him in order to receive a different blessing that his heavenly father had for him, right? How many of us know sometimes when it comes to stepping out in faith, we have to leave behind something that looks good for something that's even greater, right? We have to leave behind something that we know in order to pursue something we might not know too much about, and that is the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's what Hebrews tells us. And so the definition of faith means we are, we are intentionally pursuing something we know little about while letting go of something we know a lot about. And so last week's study in obedience out of Genesis was uh, this introduction that Pastor Josh led us into that God is calling us to a different type of obedience so that we can learn how to say, yes, Lord. Amen. Um, yesterday we were at a soccer match and it's soccer season or football season or whatever season you want to call it. And I don't know that much about soccer. Right. Um, uh, when it comes to Micaiah's team, they, there's a bunch of there's like 33 year olds. And they all have the same number on the back of their jersey. It all is all, they're all number three. I'm like, man, this is confusing, man. And, and so I'm like, I'm trying to figure out which one is my son. I, okay, there he is, there, that number three, right? I go over there, and his, his division is okay. Ruthie's division, they, it's not really strategy just yet. It's like who's, who's ever the most aggressive and the fastest is going to score more goals. They don't even have, like, goalies, or they're barely starting to get goalies. And then Joseph's division, they're actually starting to talk about the game and strategy, and so I have to pay attention because I don't know that much about soccer. I grew up playing football, American football, right? Some people are like, well, you know what the real football is, right? And I'm like, don't get, don't get into that. Come on. So I, I go out there, and, um, and, and my son's learning how to play goalie, right? 
and he's learning a few things. And the nice thing about it is the referees are kind of like extra coaches because at this age, they're like teaching them how to play. So I heard the referee tell my son, Joseph, and he learned his name already. And he goes, hey, you can come up to this line, and then you could throw the ball in, right? And uh, so my son's response is, I know. <laughs> so you, you better believe that as his dad, that A, doesn't know a whole lot about soccer, and B, wants my son to be the kind of guy, as he grows up, that he knows how to say, yes, sir, as opposed to, I know. that Man, there's a few things that, that, that get under my skin, and it's when people say, I know, when, when they, they definitely did not know, but they want to pretend like they did know. And so they say, I know. And so Joseph comes off for a water break, and they go, good job, son. You're doing a great job. I like the way you're hustling. When somebody tells you something that you're learning, don't say, I know. Please say, yes, sir, or yes, coach. You got it? Yes, dad. That's better. Go out there, right? And so the Genesis story is essentially this, this training moment where Abram's learning to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I think that's so important for us. We're going to get into Daniel today, and we're going to continue this conversation on obedience. Um, but it's important for us as followers of Jesus to learn how to say, yes, Lord. Instead of things like, hold on, Lord, let me, let me think about that for a little while. Or, or Jesus, it feels like you're calling me to this, but let me pray about it. Like, oh, you get, so you're going to tell me you need to pray to me about something I just told you to do. Right? We, we, we kind of, we've developed this ability to, to not know how to say, yes, Lord. Right? I got to think about that. I got to weigh. I got to talk to this person or whatever it may be. But when, when God says go, our response should be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen? Um, and so as we think about Genesis and that story of Abram learning how to say, yes, Lord. Again, one of those verses in Genesis chapter 12 that's so significant is it says, Abram believed God. Another word for believe is trust. Abram trusted God, right? And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we're, we're learning how to trust God. We're learning how to trust God by saying, yes, Lord. Lord, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me just yet, but I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Lord, I'm not sure if I have enough energy or time for this thing that I feel like you're calling me to, but I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Right? God, I'm not sure if I have all the ability and the skills and, and the, the, the competency to do this thing that you're calling me into, but I'm going to say, yes, Lord. So there's a couple things before we dive into Daniel that I want to cover on this topic of obedience because I want us to be the kind of church that learns how to say yes, Lord, but we're also developing a healthy environment where we could all grow as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I know of some churches that are pretty good at teaching obedience, but it's also spiritually abusive. Is it all right if I just call it out? And sometimes the pastor thinks that their word is God's word. And I want to share with you this morning that as one of the pastors of this church, my word is not God's word. My word is Pastor Koba's word. And every once in a while, there's an alignment, and the Lord could use me to speak a word, but I am not God. I am not Jesus. Pastor Josh is not God. He's not Jesus. None of the pastors here are God or Jesus. We're just people that are called to do God's work. But I, I've been in church settings before where, where pastors, for whatever reason, because of their authority, because of their position, begin to think that saying yes to God means saying yes to them, when in reality that's not the case. I'm not, none of us are anywhere near 
having the wisdom, the authority of God. So don't get it confused between saying yes to God and saying yes to a man. Is that okay? Because there's a lot of unhealthy churches, okay? And I'm not saying that we don't have our own issues. We got our issues. We ain't perfect. We're working through some things. But I want to make sure that as we talk about this topic of obedience, we're not creating an unhealthy culture where all of a sudden people think it's okay to just boss people around left and right because we're teaching obedience. Is that all right? We need, to, we, need to, we need to model respect. We need to model love. We need to mo- model compassion. We need to model family. Does that make sense? All right, I have my children, okay? When I speak with my children, yes, I want them to understand that I'm dad and this is my home, but I also don't want to disrespect my children because if I disrespect them, guess what? They're going to continue doing that to themselves, to one another, to others, and that's how they're going to raise their family. So I want to teach my children, yes, obedience, but also respect. Is that okay? And so even as we're talking about obedience, I want us to learn how to say yes to to God, but I, I also want us to have the ability to discern, right, what it means for us to operate together as a people so that our obedience to God isn't being equal to our obedience to another person. Amen? Um, And so I wanted to cover that just because I feel like that's rarely talked about in the church, Um, that oftentimes people can use their position of authority to establish unhealthy cultures and unhealthy communication patterns. And we don't want to build anything like that at this church. We want to be a church that is healthy, that we are all humbly serving the Lord who is our king. Amen? There's only one Lord. What's his name? Let me say it one more time. There's only one Lord. What's his name? There's only one Lord. What's his name? So that that last week as Pastor Josh was preaching, it caused me to think about at least three different names or three different categories of Jesus that we need to regularly be thinking about as we pursue discipleship to Christ. One of them is Savior. Somebody say Savior. Right? When we think of Jesus as Savior, it means that we are thinking of the one who has and has the ability to redeem us and save us from the things that we wrestle with, from our sin, right? From our lifestyle, from our past, that he's the God who can save, amen? But oftentimes, if, we, if, if you analyze our worship music, and I'm not calling out Pastor Nena, I'm not calling out our worship team, I'm just calling out the Christian church as a whole. If you analyze our worship songs, the things that honestly are teaching us, right? It's not that the time that we spend singing songs is like this heart moment, and then the time that we spend talking about the word is a mind moment. All of it is heart and mind. And so we are learning things by what we sing. We're learning things by what we read. We're learning things by what we hear. And so this learning process of our songs, if you were to evaluate and analyze the worship songs that we typically sing, the ones that, you know, big worship Teams like, you know, uh, Elevation Music and Maverick City and Bethel and those who are pumping out songs that churches are taking and, and introducing to their churches, the majority of them are focusing on Jesus as Savior. The one who can save, the one who can come and, and, and remove us from the things that we're wrestling with and struggling with. And that's great because Jesus is Savior, but the Bible teaches us that he's not only Savior, but he's also Lord. Somebody say Lord. And because we, many of us, have heard these words used, oftentimes we think they mean the same thing, but in reality they don't. Savior means 
He's a God who is able to rescue us. Lord means he is now in charge of my life and I am not. Two very different things. And I believe that the majority of our church today, not just Mission Ebenezer, but the church as a whole, we like the Savior Jesus. We're not too sure yet about the Lord Jesus. Right? We like the one who can do stuff for us. We're not too sure about the one who's asking us to do stuff for him. Right? We want the one who we can say the right thing, do the right thing, and all of a sudden we reap all the benefits, but we're not too sure about what it means for me to wake up in the morning and say, God, order my steps because I want my words and my life to be a reflection of your lordship. If you say go, I will go. If you say stop, I will stop. If you say listen, I will listen. If you say help, I will help. If you say serve, I will serve. If you say, if you say preach, I will preach. But, but we're a little bit hesitant to receive the Lord part of Jesus but the Savior part of Jesus sounds real good and so it's important for us as the church to recognize that we are not to divide Jesus in half and say I'll take the redemption but you can keep the obedience I'll take the healing but you can keep what it means for me to be somebody who lives my life as under the Lordship of Jesus Christ Does that make sense? Okay, can I give a personal example as to how I believe this is hard for us to do? You know, I'm 37 years old. The way I like to see it is not too young, not too old, somewhere in the middle. (laughs) The older folks say you're young, the younger folks say you're old. Right? So I remember working in, in one of my jobs, and, um, you know, you have a structure in your job. How many of you have a supervisor? Raise your hand if you have a supervisor. Let's see. Okay. Raise your hand if you work in a place where you have people that report to you, and you're a manager for other people. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, good. Raise your hand if you're your own boss, right? Let's see. Let's see. Okay, great, great, great. All right. So um, I have not had the luxury of being my own boss just yet, um, but I have had the privilege of learning what it means to work for someone else. And I remember, um, you know, early on when I first got a job, I was working at Azusa Pacific University. And um, I remember, um, you know, th- th- there were certain things that people were asking me to help out with. And my, my, my excitement and my desire to want to help and do things, I just quickly said, yep, you got it. I'll be right there. But I forgot to talk to my supervisor about it. And then later on, my supervisor was like, hey, 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 I heard you're going over to do this, this, that, and the other. Um, you know, when did you make that decision? I was like, oh, I got an email, and I replied to the email saying, yes, I could do it. And my supervisor goes, next time before you do that, come and talk with me first so that I could figure out whether or not that's a good usage of your time. Man, my pride got hurt. I was like, I'm a man. Need nobody telling me how to spend my time. Right? I'm not going to make bad decisions. I'll make good decisions with my time. I don't need to be talking to somebody. And then all of a sudden, I had to, like, kind of check myself. Like, okay, I could act like that when I'm my own boss. But until then, I have to recognize that there's somebody else that I report to that they've asked me to do this. So from now on, even if I don't like it, even if I don't feel like doing it, from that point forward, if something like that happens again, I'm going to say, my, 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 my finger wants to press the send button. Yes, I can help. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second. Okay, hold on, pause. And then my email is, thank you for the invitation. I'll get right back to you. Send. And then I go talk to my supervisor. And that's a good lesson in humility, right? 
because I think oftentimes we want to be our own boss. We want to be our own Savior. We want to be our own Lord. We want to be our own sounding board. We want to be our own board of advisors. We want to be our own elder. We want to be our own mentor. We want to be our own person who thinks we know what's best when in reality we live in such a way that we have one who's already called Lord and Master. His name is Jesus. And so that's the first layer or level of processing that I should do whenever I'm in life and I'm going through something or I'm thinking about a decision or I'm having to respond to something rather than simply pressing send or just going for it I need to pause and say Lord what do you think about this what do you think about this because I don't want to do something that somehow undermines your lordship I don't want to say something that somehow indicates that I'm not under your lordship So Jesus, is this consistent with who you want me to be and what you want me to do? And then wait to listen to what the Lord might say to us. Sometimes he'll say, yes, amen, go for it. We say, thank you, Lord, and we move forward. But sometimes the Lord says, pause, wait, hang on, talk to this person. And then our flesh starts wrestling with that. Oh, man, I don't want to wait on that. I already already felt like I have clarity. When in reality, we are called to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so as we study this this next passage of Scripture, I want us to think about this ongoing topic of obedience as we learn what it means to say yes to the Lord. Okay, open with me to the book of Daniel, please. And we're just going to look at chapter 1. And again, I just want to reiterate what Brother Steve mentioned earlier as you're flipping to the book of Daniel. Um, Next week, uh, we are going to to launch a new Sunday morning, as you've heard, youth service. Uh, At 11 o'clock, we're going to open the doors right after this service ends. So bring out your kids, middle school, high school, college age, come on out, right? Invite somebody to come on out. We're going to have food next week. We might not have a full-on meal every single Sunday, but we're going to try to see what we could do. But next week, we will for sure. So make sure to to bring them out right after this service over in Legacy Hall, which is uh, the the room that's facing north, uh, part of the Memory Lanes building on the corner over here. Um, So we'll be over there after service next week with all the youth. It's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to uh, continuing to reconnect with our youth. It's been a while since our youth have had a consistent in-person gathering. We've done a lot of Zoom Uh, touch points thank you to sam fernandez and the leadership team a lot of our youth who have continued to maintain uh, touch point in conversation and discipleship with our youth over the course of the pandemic and we're really excited to re-engage in an ongoing in-person gathering so we're going to kick that off next week all right don't don't forget about that it's going to be awesome okay daniel Um, so it says in the third year verse one of the reign of jehoiakim we're going to read the whole chapter is that okay All right, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. I want to pause right there, those first two verses. So we need to understand that the beginning of the book of Daniel, these first two verses in chapter 1 of Daniel, is essentially teaching us 
about a historical, a significant historical moment in the life of the people of Israel. Up until that moment that we just read about, Israel had a king on the throne in Jerusalem. And Solomon, the son of David, King David, built a temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated for people to come from all over to worship God. Beautiful temple. The temple mount that Solomon built, the platform is still there to this day. The temple does not exist anymore because it's been destroyed. And this was the first time that it was destroyed as recorded in Daniel chapter 1. The people of Israel were disoriented. They were discouraged. They had received a promise that God had given to King David that there would never be a moment when there wasn't a king of Israel seated on the throne in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden now, they have a picture of a temple and a palace that was destroyed with its throne absolutely removed and the people of God removed and exiled from their hometown in Jerusalem, their home country, all the way to this place called Babylon. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where you feel like God had promised you something and then all of a sudden something seemed to happen that caused you to question whether or not that promise was actually real. Man, did God really promise that to me or was I just making it up in my mind? Was that just me hopeful thinking or was God actually promising that he was going to do this thing? Because now I'm starting to, to question and doubt all these different things. You see, God had made this promise, and then all of a sudden, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. So you can imagine that some of the people of Israel, as they were wandering about in the streets in Babylon, were thinking to themselves, forget God. I can't trust him. He said he was going to do this, and he didn't do it. I don't know if there's anybody here today who could resonate that you've been through something in your life, and you're like, man, God, why weren't you there for me in that moment? Why didn't you respond when I cried out to you day after day? And I want to just remind you that if that's you, then you are in good company because it is okay to experience abandonment from God and to verbalize that because the way that the scriptures operate is that the moment we verbalize the feelings that we're having or the experiences that, that we've been through, we are this close from having a God that reaches down and saying, don't worry, I got you. Let's get back up. We're going to keep going. I think about my own kids, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I talk with them and, and something happens and then it's a small thing that happens, right? And then all of a sudden big giant waterfall tears start coming down. It's a reminder to me as a dad that those tears aren't just coming from that thing that just happened. That's been building up for a while. So as a dad, as a parent, I want to be more attentive to them so that it doesn't have to get to the waterfall tear moment. And our Heavenly Father, sometimes we think we have to be tough for God when in reality God's like, Hey, I got you. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. I know what your pain is like. I know what your hurt is like. It's okay to raise your voice up to me. I'm a big God. I could take it. In fact, God would rather have an honest conversation with you about what you've been through than for you to be fake about the things you've been through and pretend like they didn't even happen. Because the moment you can have an honest conversation with anybody in life, that's the first step toward healing and reconciliation. Amen? So the people of Israel, man, they were, they were distraught. They were discouraged. They were defeated. They were disoriented. They were feeling like they had been abandoned, and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do in this new land. How are we supposed to worship when we're in a town that doesn't even have a temple for us to go to to worship our God? 
Did you know that that was the introduction of this thing called the synagogue? Um, synagogue means the gathering together of people. And so synagogues in the Jewish religion did not exist prior to the exile. Synagogues were created because people could not access the temple anymore, either because of distance or because the temple was destroyed. And so they had to learn how to worship wherever they were with whoever they were with. And a beautiful movement and a beautiful uh, 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 revival had taken place in the people because they realized that they didn't need to be in a particular geographic locale in order to worship God. So it's interesting how even in a moment of calamity and destruction and discouragement, God can do beautiful things that cause them to realize that they don't need the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. Just like we don't need to be inside a building to worship God. Right? Oh, man, we can't go back into the sanctuary. How dare the state of California for trying to keep us from worshiping God? How are they keeping us from worshiping God when we can gather underneath these tents and give God just as loud a praise, just as loud of glory? just as loud as a, as a clap offering and worship him with the same. I don't need to be under a, 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 a wooden structured roof in order for my praise to be heard to God. And yet somehow, for whatever reason, like the people of Israel, we kind of think that these, these conditions need to be lined up in order for worship to actually happen. Guess what we need for worship? We need to be able to, 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 to know that there is someone named Jesus who gave us an invitation to connect with our creator. And through that invitation and connection, God has done some things for us. And if we can reflect upon those things enough and we can say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me, that is worship. Right? And so here we are in Daniel. Let's go back here. We read the first couple verses. They're in Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Everybody tracking what's happening here? So Nebuchadnezzar is looking for the best of the best of this people that they had just conquered. And that was common for, for nations in that day was whenever they conquered a people, they would, uh, they would, they would recruit or they would, uh, they would handpick those who were gifted and talented and skilled from those various cultures, and then they would, uh, they would kind of absorb them into their own culture to make their empire even bigger and greater. And so Nebuchadnezzar's plan was, let me handpick the best Israelites and let me train them for three years so that they could enter service and make Babylon greater. Is everybody with me so far? Verse 6, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official, gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age. The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard 
whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Somebody say 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. So you've heard of the Daniel fast before, right? So this is the story where that comes from. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Okay, so let's, let's jump back into the story as we're reading through this passage and we're talking about obedience. Daniel and a few of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, as the names were given to them, were part of this elite group of Israelites that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to train and utilize for Babylonian glory. And in order to put them through this training regimen, they had this buffet of food and they had wine and they had all these different delicacies and pleasures and foods from all over the empire and they wanted them to have access to what Nebuchadnezzar thought was the best so that they could be fed and trained up to be ready for service in his kingdom. And so Daniel, again, remember, Daniel was fresh off this moment when Jerusalem was destroyed. So if you think about it, in terms of words that we use today, things like trauma, things like what he had been through, he had seen probably his home burned down to the ground. He had probably seen people he knew killed in battle when the Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem. He saw the temple of God destroyed brick by brick and went up in smoke. And then they were forced into captivity to move all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the story of Daniel, I began to put myself in his shoes, and on a good day, when I was a kid, I would always picture myself as Daniel, right? Like, if I were thrown into the lion's den, yeah, I would be brave too. And now, as a 37-year-old, I'm like, if they throw me in the lion's den, I'm going to be hiding behind the smallest brother in the group. Like, eat him first. Or if they threw me in the fiery furnace, I'd be like, man, chicharrones, here we come. But for whatever reason, when I read the scriptures, I like to keep it real. And the real part of scriptures is that Daniel was carrying a lot of hurt. Daniel was carrying a lot of pain. Daniel was carrying probably a, a difficulty and a challenge of his faith as to whether or not God was there and God could come through because he did promise this one thing and all of a sudden, all of a sudden we see that the evidence of the fact that they came and some were even thinking maybe the Babylonian gods are stronger than our God, right? And, and, and they had all these thoughts and feelings and, and he's brought into this culture and he's given this invitation to go and eat the best foods and have the best drink. And, and in that moment, Daniel stood up and said, hey, you know what? Thanks for the invitation, but I don't need all this stuff. And the king and, and his servants, they're like, what? What you talking about, man? There's steak right here. We got ribs, man. We got all different kinds of wine that you could imagine from all over the kingdom. Enjoy it. You've been handpicked. You've been handpicked. You've been hand selected. You've been, you've been chosen for this. Come and enjoy all of this, right? And, and Daniel looks at him and says, just give me some broccoli, some carrots, and water. And me and my guys, we're going to be in better shape than the rest of the guys that you have here, right? Daniel stood in the middle of this foreign country as a captive 
And he said, rather than going along with your plan, rather than pursuing these things that you think are good for me, I already know what's good for me, and that's to be faithful to my God. So regardless of my circumstances and what I've just gone through or what we've gone through as a people, Daniel stood up as an example of one who would say, I haven't given up on God just yet. I haven't given up on the fact that he's up to something. Now, for those who are a student of the Bible and you understand this period of history, this was 587 B.C., which it means about 587 years before the birth of Christ. So almost 600 years before Jesus, you know, was born in a manger in the Christmas story. So we're talking about 587 years earlier. And what we know throughout Old Testament history is that 70 years later, so in 517 B.C., the people of God actually returned to Jerusalem. And they actually rebuilt the temple. But there was this 70-year gap. Somebody say 70 years. That's an entire generation. So I, I was talking to my dad, and we were reflecting on this passage, and, and I thought to myself, Daniel never saw Jerusalem again. Daniel was removed from Jerusalem, lived in Babylon, served in Babylon. And by the time they returned back to Jerusalem, he was already an old man and died. He died in Babylon. And I think to myself, how awesome is it that God provided a faithful person like Daniel in the exile period to be faithful to God, to obey God, even when all of life's situations and circumstances seemed to point to the fact that that was about the right time to give up. That was about the right time to give in. Just, let's just assimilate to the Babylonian culture. Let's learn their language. Let's eat their food. Let's worship their gods. We're never going to go back to Jerusalem anyway. And Daniel instead said, I'm going to be faithful. I actually believe the men in the men's prayer group have been studying the book of Nehemiah. I actually believe that Nehemiah, Ezra, some of the leaders of the return to Jerusalem could only live out their leadership because of people like Daniel that they could stand on their shoulders. That even though Daniel never entered Jerusalem or even though Moses never entered the promised land, it's important to have people that stand in the gap that are going to be faithful to God no matter what comes their way, no matter what they may get out of it, no matter what outcome it may be, no matter whether they're going to be thrown in a furnace, thrown in a, in a lion's den, whether they're going to be tested and challenged. I believe it's important for the people of God to say, God, I am going to be faithful to you no matter what life may throw my way, and I'm not going to make myself a conditional Christian worshiping you only when things are good but I'm going to worship you especially when things are bad I'm going to look to you for my strength I don't need these other people's food your food is enough for me I don't need these other people's wine your water is enough for me I'm going to pursue you in my life and believe that you are going to be glorified in this moment Daniel was not interested in what Daniel was going to get out of Daniel's decisions let me repeat that one more time. Daniel was not interested in what Daniel was going to get based, out of, based off of Daniel's decisions. But we've developed a Christian faith that we only do things because we believe that there might be some kind of benefit to me. The definition of Christian faith is that Jesus laid down his life for us and he calls others to lay down their lives for him. So we say, yes, Lord, and the outcome is up to you. I had a student ask me the other day, 
Pastor Koba, I know that God is able to do some things, but, but how do I know he will do those things? And I said, that's not for yours to know or even worry about. All you need to trust in is what God is able to do. What God actually does, that's up to God. You ain't him. I ain't him. God is God. Our call is to be faithful. Our call is to be obedient. Our call is to say, yes, Lord. But, man, I don't know if this is going to lead to a good outcome for me. Well, guess what? Welcome to being a Christian. The early Christians, many of them lost their lives for serving Jesus. In fact, the, 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 the Christian history tells us that just about every single one of Jesus' 12 disciples were killed because of their faith. And yet somehow we gravitate toward this gospel that says if we follow Jesus, our lives will be better. That is not the narrative of the gospel. We experience joy. We experience peace. We experience hope. We experience redemption. But that is all secondary to the fact that we've been called to glorify the name of God. Glorify the name of Jesus. Is Jesus praised? Is he glorified? Is he worshipped? What do people think about Jesus? What are they going to know about Jesus? Those should be our questions, not what am I going to get out of whether or not I choose to go to church. Somebody say glorify God. That's our call. Our call is to glorify God, first and foremost, right? Our, our call is not to say, all right, Lord, if I do this, then you better do that. Guess what that's called? Prosperity gospel. We are not preaching prosperity gospel. We believe God does great things for us, but even if God chose to take all of those things away, will we say, blessed be the name of the Lord anyway? So Daniel was part of this generation of faithful people of God who declared, regardless of what others may be talking about or think, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, my responsibility is to be faithful to God because he is good. What do you mean he's good? Daniel, didn't you see what just happened in Jerusalem? Didn't you see what happened to your cousin and what they did to him? And the fact that he didn't even make it to Babylon? Daniel looks at him and says, I believe my God is good anyway. And I believe he's faithful anyway. And I believe he's going to come through for us. And whether or not I see it, it doesn't matter to me, but my God is at work. I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of faith. And I don't want to have this weak, shaky faith that changes day by day based on what might be happening in my life. That's transactional faith. That's not committed faith. Amen? Church, I want us to be the kind of church that says, Lord, no matter what may come my way today, I'm going to honor you and trust you. Whatever you give me or whatever you take away, I'm going to worship you because you're deserving of all praise and all glory and all, all honor. Would you stand with me this morning, church, as we get ready to close? So we want to continue to learn. We're talking about this word called obedience. We want to continue to learn what it means to be able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, no matter what the circumstances may be surrounding my life, no matter what has been taken from me or no matter what has been added to me, I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Daniel, like those who just said, yes, Lord, regardless of what I see. You're a good God, and it's not about me anyway. It's about you, that you will be glorified and praised. And so, Lord, our prayer today is to ask that as we 
battle this cultural temptation towards selfishness and me-centeredness and what do I get out of it? And, and we learn instead to, to, to live a responsive and faithful life that says, regardless of what's in it for me, in fact, Lord, I don't want anything. What about that? How about that kind of faith, church? I don't want anything. You already died on the cross for me. You already took away my sin. You already rescued me from hell. You already rescued me from separation. You already rescued me from depression. You already rescued me from loneliness. You already rescued me from temptation. You already rescued me from unhealthy habits and distractions and behaviors. You already rescued me from not thinking I was significant and you reminded me that I'm loved and that I am significant and worth it. Lord, you've already rescued me from, 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 three, four generations of sin that you have broken in my life and I am not passing on to the next generation. God, you've already rescued me from my own mindset and the things that I wrestle with every single day. Lord, you've already rescued me from being angry. God, you've already rescued me from being sad. God, you've already rescued me from being hopeless. Lord, you have rescued me. I don't even need one more thing, Jesus. I don't even need one more thing, Lord. I had a list, but I'm going to crumple it up and throw it away. All, all I need from this point forward is to learn what it means to say, yes, Lord. Yes, and thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already done. Thank you, God, for what you've already said. Thank you, Lord, for how you've already healed. Thank you, God, for not giving up on anybody who's under this tent or joining us online. Thank you, God, that when we weren't sure who we were, you called us and you gave us a new name. You said you are loved. You said you are healed. You said you are, you are somebody with purpose. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, when we reflect on what you've already done, we feel bad for even thinking about all the 20 things that we feel like we need in order to be right with you. God, we don't need one more thing. We don't need one more thing, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Vegetables and water. We don't need one more thing, Lord. The basics, Lord. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. And so, Lord, we as a people today, I personally, I want to repent that I've, I've been tempted to think that I need 10 or 15 things from you in order for me to, to live out my faithfulness. God, I don't need one more thing. You are good. You have been good. You will be good. You're always good. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Lord. We want to be like Daniel. We want to say even when or even if, even when these things happen or even if this does happen, I will serve you. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will run to you for you are a strong tower and a refuge in times of trouble. I will lift up my hands and worship you and glorify your name. Because there's no other name under heaven and earth where we find salvation. You are enough. You are enough. Come on, somebody say, you are enough. You are enough. You've already done it, Lord. You've already done it. And so we say yes, Lord.